Great. Thank you so much. Do carry on those conversations. Stay around at the end. It would be great to get to know you more, especially if you're a visitor. You're very welcome. Great. My name's Dan, and uh, I uh, serve as part of the leadership team here. It's great to have you with us, especially if you're new, if you're visiting. Uh, a special welcome. Um, we'd love to get to know you more uh, after the service and in the coming weeks. And if you are new to us, then... Um, We've been, looking at, we've been in a series looking at the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at God's plan for humanity, um, that God created us to live a certain way, and that living as God intended, we find life in its fullness. Um, and our culture might say that Christianity is outdated. It might say that the words of the, the Bible are irrelevant. But as followers of Jesus, we are not to live by that script. We're not to have those attitudes. We believe that the Bible is alive and active. That it is the primary way that God speaks to us. And so that the, what the words of this book have to say are so important. And we have looked at what that God's plan was that he would be reflected, his image would be reflected in mankind. And then we looked at God's plan for, for work and for rest. And we looked at God's plan for uh, sexuality. And then last week, Steve spoke about our rebellion from God. Is there anything I can do with this mic? Just to, do I need to move it away a little bit? A little less breathy. That's good. So last week, Steve shared from us about that sin entered the world. This story of what happened with Adam and Eve, that God's creation was perfect, but no longer is because of their actions. That Adam and Eve were told to go and multiply to have children and fill the earth. But then we turn to what happens next, and we're going to be looking today at Genesis 4. And I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to carry on working through the passage this morning. And so if you've got a Bible in front of you on your phone, turn to it and just so you can follow it as we go through. But I'm going to start by reading from verse 1 of Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as the offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very, was angry, was very angry, and his face was downcast. Adam and Eve have this mandate given to them by God. Go and multiply. And then what happens is we see Cain and Abel. We see these two sons and they have started this mandate to go and fill the earth. And we see Cain and we see Abel bringing offerings to God. Abel's gets accepted but Cain's doesn't. I don't know if you're like me but when I read this I think this seems a little bit harsh. What did Cain do wrong? Was it that Cain, God didn't like the vegetarian option as Cain worked the soil and not the flocks? Is that, is that what it is? What is going on here? And there is, there's one hint in the passage which talks about Cain, Abel bringing the first fruits. But that's only one hint of what it could be. There's not, it doesn't really make it clear why God didn't accept his offering. So ultimately, we don't know from this passage. However, we do know from Hebrew, there is something else written in the Bible in Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 4, and it says this, I think it comes up on the screen. 
Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurances of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. This verse in Hebrews tells us that Abel brought this better offering because of the faith he had. He was commanded as as righteous. So the issue here is not the offering, but the heart behind it. Cain's offering was not coming from the right place, and we know that because we know uh, because we can see how he reacts. He gets angry. He felt God should accept his gift, and when he doesn't, he gets angry. He has made it about he has not made it about what he brings to God, he has made it about what he gets from God. You know, do you remember what happens uh, in Adam and Eve in the garden? With Steve, what Steve shared last week. You know, Eve doubts that God is truly good. She doubts whether she can trust him, and so she takes control. You know, Cain fails to trust in God's goodness, fails to see it, and he just sees the rejection. He doubts God could love him, and he goes his own way. How often do we do this? I'm so guilty often of of acting like God owes me one. Yes, I realize that God has poured grace into my life. I, I can sing about God's unconditional love. I can say thank you to God before I eat a meal or when things are going well. But you know, when things get hard, when difficulties come, I start to question whether God is truly good. Why haven't you blessed me with better health, God? Why haven't you blessed me with more money? Why haven't you blessed me with an easier life? And you know what? My heart is in the wrong place. And then when others get what I think I deserve, I act like Cain and I get angry. We uh, wanted a a baby for, for, for a long time and we couldn't get pregnant. And you know what? When others got pregnant, my heart was jealous. I doubted God was good. Or I can compete. When I feel insecure, I can point out the flaws in other people to feel better about myself. Or I can compare. I can wish that I was like that person. I wish I could do what they do. And in all cases, my reaction comes from that point of doubting whether God is good. Whether he cares for me. Whether he has plans for me and whether I can trust him. And for Cain, God actually confronts that. The next slide, please, Nimo. It says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Here, God comes asking questions. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Cain, at this point, he has has got angry, but before even God allows it to become an action, allows it to take root in his heart, God is there trying to engage Cain again. God cares about the condition of Cain's heart way before he acts. God is not a judge waiting for you to make a mistake so he can come down hard on you. No, no, he is a loving father who is constantly seeking to engage us. And God asks us questions, not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows everything. He asks us questions so that we can see the state of our own hearts. 
He then gives us opportunity to respond, to repent, and to change. Do you know that God cares about the condition of your heart today? He is wanting to work in your life. And too often we ignore the questions that God asks us. We downplay our sinful hearts. We keep sin in secret. We think we can control it. But God tells Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is is crouching. It is trying to make itself look small. It's trying to say, you know what? Everyone does it. You know what? No one will ever know. He says, you know, is it really that bad? Sin is crouching to appear small. But do you know that sin wants to overpower you? God says it, de- it desires to have you. Sin wants to appear small and insignificant, but it never stays small. And when God asks questions, he is trying to help us see that we are wandering down a path to destruction. And sometimes God asks questions through scripture. You know, sometimes you will read words of the Bible and you will think, man, that is in contrast to how I am living at the moment. You will feel conviction in your heart. God is asking questions. Sometimes it will be through prayer that he highlights areas of your life where you uh, need to change. That is God asking questions. Sometimes God asks those questions through other members of the church, through accountability and discipleship, or sometimes through uh, the gifts within the church, through things like words of knowledge. You know, God doesn't ask questions to bring shame, but to protect you and give you the chance to change. God wanted to completely transform Cain's mind, to see that he was heading to a path of destruction and he asks him questions. And that is the same thing that God does with us. He wants to completely transform our minds. So what seems like a negative moment, we can see spiritual breakthrough. You know, we have been saved by Jesus. We have been saved from our sin, but the process of change has only just started. I thank God that he's not going to leave me like this. I thank God that I am now engaging in a process where my mind is catching up with what God has already done. And as God asks questions, he gives us the chance to repent, which just means to change our thinking, to turn around, to come in line with what is now true. And so I just wanted to, there's a slide here, I just wanted to give you a help, just a a little bit of a, a guidance of what do we do when God asks us questions. Well, firstly, we recognize What is your response to the situation revealing about what you believe? What lies have you been believing about God, yourself or others? It's a chance for you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal patterns of your life where you've been hurt or you've believed a lie or you're responding in a godly way. When we say Holy Spirit, when we sing that this morning, that's not just a Holy Spirit, can you make me feel a little bit fuzzy? Could you just give me a little bit of a spiritual high? No, God is wanting to use the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to change us. Secondly, we we respond emotionally. We can often feel guilty for doing this as Christians, but actually, it's important that we express the emotion where we have felt hurt. Cain was okay to say, God, why? He was okay to ask questions, but he didn't. We've got to express any emotion where we feel hurt by others or we have disappointment towards God. But then we go on to repent and forgive. We ask God to show anything where we need to repent of and anybody that we need to forgive. And then we go into what we call renounce and announce. 
That's where we renounce the lies where you've been believing, that you've been living under, and instead ask the Holy Spirit to show you the truth and speak it out. It's declaring those lies that you believe and instead accepting the truth that God says in Scripture is true about you now. And finally, is to receive and believe. To spend time in prayer, asking for blessings for those who have hurt you, or allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with his power, his joy, his love, asking God to bring healing where you have felt hurt. For Cain, he refused to engage with God. He refused to engage with the questions that God was asking. Sin was allowed to take root. It crouched. It looked small, but it was anything but. And we read on in the passage. The next slide, please, Nimmo. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain's anger gave birth to murder. We have to take sin seriously because its consequences will always be more than we can imagine. You know, that little bit of jealousy that gives way to a lifetime of stealing. Or that little bit of greed which gives way to a lifetime of gluttony. Or that little smoke that gives way to a lifetime of addiction. Or that quick watch of porn that gives way to a lifetime of of sexual unfulfillment and, and broken relationships. Sin promises everything, but it delivers nothing. Sin promises freedom. Adam and Eve wanted freedom from God. But what happens to them and what happens to Cain is their actions doesn't lead them into freedom. It leads them into slavery. Are we going to allow sin to be our master or are we going to allow God to be our master today? Yet in the midst of Cain's rebellion, we see who God is. Verse 13, next slide. Great, thank you. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. There's no suggestion in this passage that Cain is repentant. There's no suggestion that he is sorry for what he has done. He only seems upset because of the severity of the punishment. And yet God still marks him out. He still protects him from harm. Even in the midst of darkness and sin, we see God's love. But we also see his justice. In verse 10 earlier, it said, you know, his blood, uh, Abel's blood cries out. God cannot ignore sin. Someone needs to be held accountable. But do you remember that promise that God gave Eve in the chapter we read before? That one would be coming who would deal with the issue of sin. And at the end of the chapter, we see Eve giving birth to another son. Genesis 4, 25 to 26. Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Seth is born and for Eve, hope is born again. We know through scripture, if you trace the line of Seth from Seth's family line, Jesus would come. 
Jesus would arrive and he would be born as a human being and he would take the punishment due to Adam and Eve, due to Cain, due to us on himself. He would die on the cross to take in our place, to take our sin and give us freedom. Even in the darkness, God was weaving hope into the story. God's original plan for human flourishing was, was found in humans going and multiplying. Adam and Eve, go and multiply. But instead of multiplication, very quickly we see division. The effects of sin were felt to that first family and they have been felt by us ever since. I, I could go around this room with the microphone now and we could hear story upon story of people who have experienced hurt in families. Abuse, betrayal, family feuds, divorces, breakups, children who are far away spiritually and relationally. And yet, in the midst of all of that, all of that mess that we live with, God had, has added us to a new family. And Francesca mentioned it earlier on. John 1, 12 to 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. As Francesca said, we have been adopted into his family. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, declared him as your Lord in your life, then you are a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Father. You are adopted in. I don't know whether you like the idea of being in a family. Maybe you, maybe you, you actually are experiencing a lot of family hurts. Maybe you don't get on with your family. Maybe you've been hurt badly in the past. But the Bible talks about a different kind of family. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are brought together into his family. We become children of God. Just look around at the people around you. They're family. They are family. That means when you look around, these are brothers and sisters. That, if you're new to us, that might put you off. I'm really sorry. <laughs> this is family. Show me somewhere else. Well, you'll meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds in this city. Show me. I was at Hull City yesterday. No, it wasn't there. Go into a pub, it's not there. Go to a, a gig or go to a concert, it's not there. But this is family. Something about the way we represent the kingdom of God, which other things just don't do. We all have a biological family, but we are part of a new family as well. One in which we love one another, one which we care for one another and challenge one another and support one another. But you know what? Often church can feel like anything but family. You know, we can turn up once a week and make it about this event. We can, make, we can turn Sundays into an event where we just turn up more interested in what we can get out of it than what we can get into it. Please don't go home and say, Amazing worship this morning on your Facebook status. Oh man, no. It's not about what we can get from it. Go home and say, isn't God amazing? You know, becoming part of the church is not signing up for a club. There are lots of different places where you can find something that will satisfy your social needs. Join a quiz team or a football team or attend a book club or go to a local cafe or go to a local pub. I'm just giving you lots of options. I'm like TripAdvisor. <laughs> if you want your social needs satisfying, go there. 
Go and share Jesus there for those places. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you become part of a family. You become part of the family of God. And so what does it mean to be part of that family? What does it mean to reflect God's plan for family amongst us? Well, firstly, we all get to play our part. We need everyone to play their part and to use their gifts in this family. We are not a family with a few superstars. We're really not a family of a few superstars, trust me. But we don't, we don't have a few people who do everything, but as a family, we share the load. You know, I get to do this, but while I speak, we have people upstairs teaching our children about Jesus. If you meet one of them after the service, thank them. We have people making sure that you have a drink ready afterwards. They're all dressed in purple, thank them afterwards. We have people replenishing the toilet rolls, we have people who are going to fix the light that I've just found out that's broken in the toilet and I nearly went to the toilet in the dark. They're going to be doing that later on. We have people, if you are new and you decide that this is your family and you want to be involved, then you have a part to play. One of our values is being there for one another's success. You might have heard us talk about this. And I love this value because it is so countercultural. In a world which wants success and recognition, we have to be those who look to raise others up. Because we don't care about who gets the, the recognition as long as the glory goes to God. Who saw the two-hour marathon? Elliot Chip, Kipchoge. Did anyone see him do that a few weeks ago? Where were you all? Did no one see that? Yeah? This guy ran a marathon under two hours. It was an incredible achievement. It's never been done, just for a bit of context. Um, but to help him run it, he had pacemakers who helped make sure he stayed on track all the way through. And I want to really quickly show you the final stages of his race. And, and if you've never seen this, where have you been living? Like, come on. I want to show you the, the final bit of this race. But Elliot is in, is in white, and I don't want you to focus on him. Please don't focus on him. You watch that later. It's fantastic. It's two hours worth if you've got nothing to do this afternoon. Um, I want you to focus on the pacemakers who are behind him and they're wearing black tops. Nimmo, do you want to play it? This is history unfolding on the streets of Vienna this morning. It's a Saturday run like we've never seen before. Listen at the noise, the crowd getting right behind him through hard work and discipline. He's pointing, come on, he says. Elliot Kipchoge has the hand of history on his shoulder. He has. Less than 200 metres to go. Elliot Kipchoge, let's keep an eye on the clock, into the final 20 seconds. Elliot Kipchoge. Whoa! On his shoulder, 140, oh. 140, the unofficial oh, time. his wife. Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. 159.40, the unofficial time. The first man to run a marathon in under two hours. One final lung-busting stride for Kipchoge, one giant leap for human endeavour. And you know, Kipchoge was right. Thanks, Nima, that's great. No human is limited. Come, you might not be into sport, but come with me on this, all right? Come with me. Towards the end of the race, what happens is Elliot is running and, he, and they all move out of his way and let him accelerate so he could do the final stretch by himself. You see them all jumping up behind him as he's running, celebrating. Then they all kind of gather around him, and there's like 32 of them, I think, who helped him. And they all lift him up, and they're all jumping up and down. What astounded me was to find out that every single one of them was a world-class athlete in their own right. 
Every single one of them. There included a silver medalist from the Olympics, Paul Chilimo. It included Matthew Centuritz. He's a gold medalist Olympian. It included Jakob Imbrickson. He's a Norwegian. He's like the, the up-and-coming. Uh, they, they basically think he's going to be world champion in the next couple of years and probably dominate for the next 10. Many other stories of world champions in their own right. And all of them probably had this dream. All of them probably had a dream that they would be the one who would run a two-hour marathon. Or some of them might even go on to run it in the future, but they won't be the first one. And what astounded me was that all of them used their gifts to see him succeed. It was a beautiful moment. They're all celebrating. Not one of them is there going, oh, looking on with jealousy. There's just the joy in their faces. They're punching the air. They're jumping up and down. They were running around afterwards, just hugging each other and hugging everyone else there. This unbelievable moment of seeing people putting, putting their own dreams, their own aspirations aside to see others succeed. And I think it is a wonderful picture of what it means to be there for one another's success. Stepping aside, supporting, raising others up to see them step into all that God has for them. There's no place for ego here. There's no place for ego at Jubilee. There's no place for infighting, for gossip, for critical hearts. No, we believe the best in each other, and we strive to see others succeed, and we use our gifts together to see the kingdom advance. Personally, I'm living with this now. If you were here last week, Steve shared about the change in the leadership team. Steve is not a 90-year-old man about to retire. <laughs> He's got a few years left in him, we hope. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Steve stepping aside to say, actually, I'm going to champion Dan. I feel it every day. I feel it. Thank you. And um, that's what it means to be there for one of a success. To step aside and to say, no, I don't think... I want to see this person. I've felt it in the 10 years, 11 years I've been part of Jubilee. Steve just keeps pushing me forward. We've got to believe the best in each other, to see each other succeed. Use our gifts to see the kingdom advance. You know, the first family we read about in Genesis 4, they failed because striving, competition, and comparison took place. But when we lay aside our agenda, when we serve God and others, we will see God move in incredible ways. So it means playing your part. It also means committing to relationships. How are you involved with the relationships here at Jubilee? You know, I have found Jubilee to be a place where I can fully play a part in a family. I have found those who care for me like parents care for me. I have found those who give me wise counsel like grandparents. I have found those who encourage me and challenge me like brothers and sisters, and those I can care for like children. If you only do Sundays, you miss out on so much. I just wondered if you could put your hand up if you have been part of Jubilee for more than a year. Could you now put your hands down? If you've been part of Jubilee for less than a year, could you put your hand up? So if you are a more established member, how are you making these guys feel welcome? How are you involving them in family? And part of this family is that we get to represent the diverse nature of the kingdom of God in this, our city. I love that we have so many nations amongst us, but I don't just want it to be a flag on a wall and a pat on a back. 
I want us to truly celebrate the diversity that amongst us. To see everybody fully playing their part. And that means that we've got to learn from each other. That means learning about culture and learning about experiences and, and eating together and sharing life together and seeing others released to serve God and to demonstrate his kingdom in this city. This is an area I want to see us growing in in the next year. To hear stories of, of just people from different backgrounds and different uh, cultures coming together, learning from each other and then sharing in being family together. And it also means that we get to play our part through our finances, as Josh shared earlier on. Just as Cain offered and Abel brought offerings to God, we have since, God's people, have brought offerings to him. In the Old Testament, it's called a tithe, which was 10% of, uh, which you were giving back to God, 10% of what he has given us. It's amazing that we get to keep 90%. Now, we don't teach that everyone must tithe here. We don't use that word because it doesn't come up in the New Testament. But we believe that financial giving is one of the ways we worship God. Worship, uh, worship never comes out of obligation, but a desire to give back to God what he has first gave us. So there's two important principles to bear in mind when it comes to uh, giving to church and why it's an important place to give. Firstly, the, the, the Bible tells us that we, uh, we give to those who work for the church. I'm one of them. I'm not going to deny that. We see that in Leviticus, we see the, the supporting of the, those who minister the gospel in the Old Testament, but then in the New Testament, we see it in, in Luke 10 and in 1 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 5. If you're a part of Jubilee, it's important you support those that the church employs. And secondly, all ministry requires money and resources. If Jubilee is going to be a genuine community that is people reaching and community restoring and it's the wrong way around, who's not noticed that? And potential releasing and spirit receiving, we'll change them around afterwards. These all take resource, they all take finance. Many people use this tithing principle, 10% of your income, as a helpful guide, but the precise amount you give is between you and God. We're not going to hold you to any rules. The question is not one of equal giving, but it's sacrificial giving. For some, 10% may not be uh, achievable, whereas for others, they may give more than 10%. At the moment, we have 91 adults who are involved in giving via either direct debit standing orders or checks. That's 46% of adults who call Jubilee their home. That means that we have 54% of people who are either giving into the bucket on a Sunday or not giving at all. And I believe that giving is an area that we can grow into in the next year. You know, those statistics give me a glimpse of what impact we can have on this city and beyond in the coming years. So through the part we play in relationships, in giving, we have a ch- uh, in serving, we have a chance to be part of a family that shows the rest of the world what it means to live as God intended. And as amazing as you all are, it doesn't quite satisfy me. I'm going to be honest. You see, not only have we been linked to one another, but we have a wider family globally. We are part of a family of churches called Regions Beyond. You may have heard that name and think, what is that all about? Well, in Regions Beyond, we are churches who are connected by values. We are churches throughout the world. We are USA and Mexico and Australia and India and South Africa and the Philippines, to name a few. We are connected relationally, but we support one another in in prayer, in resources, in friendship. 
Jubilee is a family, but then we are connected to a wider family. We are a family of families. And that means when we talk about our church in Waddington or our church in Mumbai or our church in Sydney, we truly mean ours. We might have people who visit us here. We might have people we meet at, at conferences or church camps. We might visit our other church, some of our other churches and see people. But then there'll also be people that we never meet. There'll be churches that you never even hear the name of. But we are connected in heart, and in this together we love, we support, we pray, and we stand with our family across the world. Regions Beyond's tagline is, for him, for God, for one another, and for the nations. And in a few weeks, on Sunday the 17th of November, we're going to take up an offering for the work of Regions Beyond globally. Every year we we take up an offering, and the money used at that offering uh, supports the work for the following year. It's a chance for us to show that we are family. And I just want to show you a video explaining about that offering. Well, it's a great privilege to speak to you from the Middle East where we've just concluded the most encouraging week. I gathered a group of leaders from around the world who lead clusters of churches within regions beyond and to hear stories of great advances in villages, in the rural areas, in the great cities of the world, Mumbai, London, Sydney, and to see that we've truly become a real apostolic people group. For us in India, it's been a wonderful year of seeing the leaders come to a new place in their own leadership and in their own confidence and to seeing a lot of new churches being planted. God is opening new areas like Northeast. There's a church that is joined with us and that is helping us to go to Nepal and Bhutan. And also we are seeing young men giving themselves to training, getting ready for church planting. This last year being part of Regions Beyond has just thrilled me as I've seen more and more of our women just step up and being released into all areas of ministry. What excites me this year about Regions Beyond is that I was part of the team who went to Australia to be part of the church there and to advance the Kingdom of God. That was the highlight of my life this year. Just coming into the Regions Beyond family over the last year, uh, we're hugely excited about what God has already done and we can't wait to be more a part of The remarkable thing about the giving within the Regions Beyond churches over the last few years is that we've been able to do extraordinary things. You gave brilliantly and we've been able to do amazing things again. Being in Australia, we know what it feels like to be at the ends of the earth. And uh, as we look at all that Regions Beyond is doing, we see Sydney opening up, Adelaide, and as we look at the islands and nations around us, we just see a huge world that God wants to impact. In Australia, we've been thrilled to see the multiplication of church with various sites um, in the areas around us. We've loved being part of Regions Beyond and how we've built friendships over the nations. This last year, we've been on the receiving end of so much help being able to establish our new training base in Hilton, which is going really, really well. 
as well as open up a number of new countries. We've been able to plant a number of new churches this year as well and train many of those new leaders. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you. Over the last year, we've been empowered uh, with the money to set up a business uh, to help us uh, settle as we prepare to lead this church in Bloemfontein. I can think back now to Rio de Janeiro and my visit there this May to see a church that's grown because we've been able to provide them A, with a place to meet and also the facility to actually run an English as a second language school and now people are coming onto Alpha courses through that, people are getting saved. When I think of the special offering I think wow that's been achieved. I can think of churches being planted all around the world. I can think of nations which are opening up to us which have never been opened before. If we trust God with our resources and we give faithfully, we can see God open up many more nations for us. The Far East, Africa, the West, and many other parts of the world. Thank you to all the Regions Beyond Churches for the generosity and in the way that you give you know, to reach the ends of the earth. As we set our course now for 2020, I want to begin by saying a big thank you for all we've achieved over the last year. We are becoming a mature apostolic movement and that is because some have gone, some are building locally, some give, some pray, but everyone is getting involved in gospel extension. Our generosity marks us. Now I want to ask you again to join together, respond to what God puts in our heart and all give over the next month or two. I'm trusting God for $350,000, which is a large amount again, but God has been so faithful. So can you search your heart? Can you look to God and join us? But thank you so much for what we've already achieved. Now let's go do it again. God bless you. See you in the nation. Stand with me. If you've got children in Explorers, it'd be great. We're going to take communion in a moment, so do go and grab them and come back to join us. And in the story of Cain and Abel, we see the effects of sin and how it drives family apart. But God has a different plan for family, one in which we are together, united by Christ and demonstrating the kingdom to the world around us. I'll ask you this morning, are you truly committed to that family, both here locally at Jubilee Church, but also with the work at Regions Beyond? Are you willing to, to give your all to see an impact of the gospel in Hull across this nation and to the nations? I, I watched that video, I think, oh man, the money we give is having real, real impact. You see, without action, our values on the website are just slogans which make us sound a little good. 
But if, you, if someone was to ask me, what is Jubilee all about? I want them to be able to walk them into this room and to say, this is our values. To see us living out our values, to see us embracing one another, embracing the plan that God has for us here, playing our part, serving, giving, and embracing the nations. And we're going to have a chance to give to that on the 17th of November. And so to finish, there's only really one way that I want us to demonstrate our commitment to one another. And it is to do what Jesus commanded family to do. And that is to take bread and wine and to to remember his death. To remember what Jesus did for us. To save us from our brokenness and what we heard about with Adam and Eve and what we hear about with Cain. And we realize we were in a total mess yet Jesus came and paid the price for us. And it's an invitation to all believers. Even if Jubilee isn't your home church, then we want, to really give you, we, we want you to join us to show our unity and our commitment to the body of Christ. And so how I want us to do it is this band are going to lead us in a song. Some guys are going to come and help us take uh, communion. And I want you to come down, but I don't want you to take it and just take your little bit of bread and your little bit of juice and go back to your seat or take it here. I would love you just to grab a couple of people around you and to take it together and to pray for one another. If you feel comfortable with that, if you're not, just take it back to your seat and sit down and have a moment to yourself. But as the band starts to play, why don't we just come down? If you're helping with communion, now's a great time to come. Thank you. But as we do this, is it a chance for us to commit to the part that we're playing in this family and demonstrating this family to the kingdom uh, and the kingdom of God to the nations?